so before we get started, I just want to ask who has heard of Billie Eilish in this room, except from, not just from hearing it from me, anyone who didn't just hear about it from me. Okay, so that's five people, I think. Oh, yeah, I see that. So it was about a month ago that I learned about her, so I'm not the expert. <laughs> um, I was driving with my sister about a month ago. She's nine years younger than me. And she mentioned something about Billie Eilish, and I was like, who's barely Irish? <laughs> never heard of this person before. Uh, my sister said I probably had heard her before, and I would recognize her when I did, because she sounds so different. Well, sure enough, I heard Eilish's song, Bad Guy, on the radio a few days later. Here's a clip of the beginning of the song. Hopefully the music is working. <laughs> I can actually give it a sound check. Wait for it, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> reaction was like nope <laughs> I just found that her music creepy and stressful and I really had no desire to ever listen to her again <laughs> um, I was also really surprised that her music had become so popular because I'd never heard anything like it before on the radio uh, one vlogger that's an online video blogger for those of you who don't know I'm gonna use a lot of Youth pop culture terms tonight, which I had to Google Urban Dictionary like a lot <laughs> for this lecture. Um, but this vlogger says that if you haven't heard of Billie Eilish, you're old. So I guess I'm old, <laughs> officially. Um, a lot of my friends who are mostly in their late 20s and early 30s have had the same reaction to Billie Eilish uh, and her music when I asked. Either they've never heard of her or they say things like, she be weird. I don't like her music, it's depressing, or she's terrifying. <laughs> so you're in for a treat tonight. <laughs> I definitely felt the same way at first, and when I watched a couple of her music videos, I just thought she was really dark, and that I'd probably never listen to her again, and then I kept listening to her. Um, but as I've learned a lot more about her, I've become really interested in what she's doing and how her music reflects what's going on in youth culture right now. So if you've been to a few lectures at Canadian Libri, the chances are that you've heard at least one pop song referenced. <laughs> it's not just because we have bad taste in music, it's also because we're really interested in what's going on in pop culture. Francis Schaeffer is the man who started Libri back in the 50s, he and his wife, and he talked about how ideas have moved through philosophy to art, then to music and pop culture, and finally to our theology. So what ends up on the radio didn't just come out of nowhere. Even the seemingly shallow music portrays a worldview that we can examine. And examine it we should because it's so pervasive. Everyone in this culture is exposed to pop music, even if they're not paying attention. You go to Walmart, you go to McDonald's, sometimes you go to a Walmart that has a McDonald's, <laughs> and you hear this music everywhere you go, everywhere you're shopping, you hear pop music. And many of us just get used to the songs and hum along without even thinking about the lyrics. 
and then the culture that we're swimming in enters the church and we don't know what to do with it. So even though pop music represents a lot of extremes, sometimes it's a, it's a collection of our preoccupations. Whatever sells most gets on the radio, and what sells is what people want to fill their heads with. So it's worth paying attention to. We have to be able to speak to the world around us about the things that matter most to them. Well, Billie Eilish has become extremely popular with teenagers in the last few years. Most people who come through Libri are a little bit older than that, typically in their 20s, though we do get a mix. So I don't encounter teenagers that often, but I think teenagers are this barometer of cultural change. We can't dismiss what they like as just thing, weird things that kids are into these days. Um, even if we find it strange at first, we should engage with it and try to think about how it expresses changes in our culture. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves unaware of what's happening around us and how to communicate with a new de generation. So when someone like Billie Eilish comes along, it's worthwhile to ask ourselves why she's so popular, especially when at first glance her music seems so dark. I want to examine how her musical and personal style expresses the angst of Gen Z, or Gen Z if you're Canadian, in a way that no one else has quite managed before. So for f some of you, this is going to feel a bit weird and uncomfortable. Um, rest assured, I also felt that way as I dove into Billie Eilish's music. And I spent a lot more time on the internet than I ever do, really trying to understand youth culture in a way that I don't often try to do. Even if your first reaction to her music is, I don't like it or she's terrifying, <laughs> I hope you'll be able to look past that and think about what makes her so appealing to teenagers and many others today. Since I know many of you are unfamiliar with Billie Eilish, I'm going to start by giving a brief biography of her and her speedy rise to fame. And after that, I'll look at her musical style. And then I'm going to examine why she's become so popular. And finally, then I'll reflect on her from a Christian perspective. So, Billy's background. Before we get into looking at the specifics of her music, let's talk a bit about her life. So, Eilish was born in 2001 in Los Angeles, California, a few months after 9-11, to give you some historical context. It's crazy to me. So, her full name is Billy Eilish Pirate Baird O'Connell. If your, middle, if your parents give you the middle name Pirate, you know you're going to turn out a bit different. <laughs> Eilish has one sibling, that's her brother Phineas, who's four years older than her. He helps write and produce her music, and he tours with her and plays in her shows. Because Eilish is still a minor, her mom tours with her as well. It's really a family affair. Eilish's parents, Maggie Baird and Patrick O'Connell, are both actors and musicians, so music and performance were always a part of... Um, Eilish and Phineas's life. Eilish grew up in a two-bedroom home. Her parents slept on a futon in the living room so that she and Phineas could have their own bedrooms. When Eilish wanted to take riding lessons, her family couldn't afford it, so she had to work at the stables in return for lessons. Eilish and Phineas were homeschooled, just like me. <laughs> and I will tell you, homeschoolers don't look the same today as they did when I was being homeschooled. <laughs> nice. Eilish speaks positively of being homeschooled. Her parents wanted their kids to have the opportunity to pursue whatever they were interested in, which turned out to be primarily music. She also said that if she had gone to school, she would have been a bully and her brother would have been bullied. <laughs> With plenty of creative time on their hands, Eilish and Phineas both enjoyed singing. Eilish started writing songs at 11. She took dance lessons and Phineas started a band. Phineas taught himself how to record and produce music. When Eilish turned 13, Phineas started making music with her. He had written a song for his band called Ocean Eyes, but he thought it would sound better with a female singer. So Eilish recorded the song with him and posted it on the music sharing website SoundCloud. 
so that her dance teacher could have a copy of it for Eilish to do a choreography to. Well, <laughs> unexpectedly, the song went viral pretty much overnight, and a music manager reached out to Phineas. So that is how she got discovered. Um, we're going to watch the video for the, that first song. Was that song. during the spelling bee? <laughs> no, um. that's, that's, from, that's from the movie yeah, Mean Girls, <laughs> where they make fun of homeschoolers. Ocean Eyes, and I find the song really chill, beautiful. 
Um, and it, show, it really shows off Eilish's mesmerizing voice. <laughs> She's only 14 in that video, which is crazy. But you can already see hints of the future Eilish by the sad theme of the music and how rather than just remain floating in these beautiful cloudy pastels, she smears blue paint all over her face, which is kind of reminiscent of tears or running mascara. In 2016, Eilish signed with a major record label. Eilish's EP released in 2017 is titled Don't Smile At Me, which is where I got the title of the lecture. And you will notice that in basically all her photos and videos, she, she doesn't smile. Her first full-length album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, was just released at the end of this past March, and it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Eilish is the first artist born in the 2000s to have a number one album. In its first week, it was the second best-selling album released in 2019 so far, after Ariana Grande, who's kind of like the queen of pop <laughs> right now. The album was also sold 15,000 vinyl LPs in its first week, and the only other female artist to reach that number was Adele with her album 25. So you can see that Eilish is a pretty big deal. I'm not just making this up. I want to show an interview with Eilish so you get a feel for how she is in person. Vanity Fair conducted this interview last November, and it's a follow-up interview where they asked her the same questions a year later to see how she's changed. And I think this is a really important interview because it captures her personality and shows, oh. <laughs> uh, and, and shows how much she's changed in just the space of a year. But I, I'm going to warn you, she has quite a sailor mouth, so she does curse a fair bit in this video, and if that bothers you, um, I would just leave the room for 10 minutes and then come back. But I think it's important to get a feel for how she kind of is as a person. Um, <coughs> she's going to drop some F-bombs. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Can you play the interview? Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish. Uh, I think it's October 18th, 2017. It's October 18th, 2018. I'm 15. I'm 16. I have 257,000. I have 6.3 million followers. 1.13 million. 9.6 million when you look up Billie Eilish. It's a picture of me and Charlie XCX. Isn't it the one about me smiling? Of course it is. The one picture that I have smiling. The most followed person that follows me is Chloe Grace Moretz. Who's the best? She has 13 million followers. Katy Perry, maybe? She is 72 million. I'd say probably Khalid, which is weird because he's like just a homie of mine. And like, I don't think women's anything else. SZA, I have Millie Bobby Brown, Sabrina Claudio, Bad Baby, Lauren Horegi, Noah Cyrus, Sway Lee, Rich the Kid, Lil Zan, Yachty, Hi, Burma, <laughs> Red, Miguel. Are you kidding me? These are just people that I've texted. It was at the Crocodile in Seattle, and it was like 500, I think. That's what I said? <laughs> Whoa. That's so cute. Um, who? That was, ah, uh, the best one I've had was Music Midtown in Atlanta. 40,000 people. Such a dream. Oh my God, such a dream. Every time I go anywhere, hands down. I might be safe if I go to Trader Joe's, <laughs> but everywhere else is kind of you recognize, which is actually really cool. But it, you know, it's a lot, kind of a lot actually, but like not a ton. It's kind of like maybe like once a week. Um, I'm kind of jealous of Billy a year ago because I kind of I don't know. 
I'm really not about to fucking pity myself for people recognizing who I am, which is because it's like I'm really grateful for it. But I don't know. I, I would like to go to, I don't know, anywhere and not be always recognized. Whoa. Ugh. Don't be so sad. It's such a waste of time. Ugh. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't live up to that then, and I still haven't lived up to that, so. It's good advice, though. It is a waste of time, dude. Ah, it's ruined so many things that could have been amazing because I was sad. Dumb, but, whatever. Don't post everything you think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> If you're watching this right now, anybody, if anybody is watching this, <laughs> don't post your feelings. Don't do it to yourself. Um, whoa. Tyler, the creator. No, I would love to be. Oh, I, I, I've not met him. Oh my God, I would explode if I met him. I met him. I met him and it was great. <laughs> For me, he hits a he hits a part of me that nobody gets. Being Apple's up next artist. I was such a baby. I did Ellen last week. Jimmy Fallon, Lollapalooza, um, so many festivals. Went to Tokyo. I met Takashi Murakami, I went to his studio. Dave Grohl's daughter did a cover of my song. He played guitar for her at a talent show, I think, or something. There's been a lot of shit that's happened in the last year. My family, I'm, I'm always talking about family, always. <laughs> Every second of my life. Fruitvale Station. Uh, Fruitvale Station. No. <laughs> uh, you know what? No, this, I can't afford a real chain. They are real. Now they are real. But it's all silver. Oh yeah, my chains were gifts. I did not buy anything that I'm wearing. At all. None of it. I bought this though. Nah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of pressure that's like, it hits me and then I don't care. Everybody dropped dead right now. And I didn't. I would be left with what I had created for myself. And what the hell would the point be if I was just creating something that somebody else wanted me to create that I had no say in, and then that person died, and everybody else died, and nobody mattered except me. I'm stuck with the shit I didn't want in the first place. That's trash. No, I'm handling the pressure horribly, but I just keep it to myself. All the time. Except my wall. I write everything I feel on my wall, so if you go in my room, you can my wall. No, I don't like dating at all. I don't like the idea of, oh, this is my one person and I only share time with this person. No, 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 <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, I don't have a boyfriend. I, can't, I could not have a boyfriend that would just be mean to him. Uh, I don't know. I almost had one for like a little, but it wasn't really exclusive, so I don't know what you call that. I hate things that are exclusive. 
letting myself be mistreated for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> I had no idea what the fuck was coming. <laughs> Not really. Uh, yeah, I was really mistreated, and then I just realized I was better than that, and since then, I just, I feel like I've, I've just grown to know my worth. It's taken a minute, and I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. Aw, oh, Billy was so hurt then. I was so hurt then, man. Shit. I want to learn that it's all worth it, because it's tiring as heck, and it is worth it, and I have to remember that, because being with like fans and doing shows is way more important than being tired. Is it worth it? Yes. <laughs> the shows make it worth it. The shows and the supporters. That is something you have to remember when it, it doesn't feel worth it. Um, because a lot of it doesn't feel worth it, but then you get to the points that do make it worth it, and it's like, then it all sort of makes sense and it kind of clicks in your head. No matter what you do, there's you can never, ever, ever please anyone ever. Ever, ever. Facts. Still true, never not true. Any picture that is taken of you, if a picture is taken of you, somebody has it and somebody will use it against you. I wasn't allowed to, but I ran away from security and I ran into a huge crowd. I like slammed open a door into all of them through a glass window and hugged them all. I almost caused a stampede by sneaking through a crowd at Lollapalooza. I almost died and everyone else almost died. It's crazy shit. Whoa, Lil Wayne. Oh, to perform with Lil Wayne? That's a great answer. Wow. 15-year-old me was ballin'. <laughs> I really want to go to Japan again. I went to Japan a while ago and it was the most amazing time, so. I feel like Brazil might be crazy. Literally my first fan account was like, or like second fan account was like Billie Eilish Brazil. Brockhampton. Tierra Whack is sick. I like bright green a lot. I like black. It's been pretty dark lately, so I've just wanted to be dark with it. The world, I mean. <laughs> I don't, and in one word, fucking no. <laughs> Judge me, please. <laughs> That's what I said? Shit. I still feel that way. Totally still feel that way. But this year, I guess I just don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on. I feel this and that. I feel like everything needs to have a certain... This is in this category and this is in this. Like, it's like, I want to be everything. Like, shut up. Don't tell me what I can't be. The hell? Mm. The music industry, man. We're all sad as hell. All these artists, we're sad as shit, dude. Everybody I know that's an artist, we are sad motherfuckers. That's the way it is. Wait, what? What does that even mean? What does that mean? Everyone is gonna die and no one is gonna remember you, so... Fuck it. What this bitch said. That's my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Having the approach that no one's had.
trying to write something no one's written. I don't know if that's the best approach because you might just fail and then want to die. Have, like I have to write someone write something no one's ever heard. See, that's why I'm I'm still bad at it because that's what I was trying to do. Fuck. You better know how to drive because I've been putting off driver's ed because that stuff stinks. I hate that stuff. I do know how to drive, shorty. Well, that is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is my mom. She is sick as a booty, and she has laryngitis as heck. Um, so I really find her quite likable in her interviews, um, and you really get a feeling for how young she is, just even the way that she talks and says bro and dude, it's kind of this sort of skater persona, um, but you can see that she kind of has this, this sort of tough vibe, at the same time as being really honest and vulnerable, and this interview also shows just how quickly she's risen to fame and the kind of pressure that it's created, it's a very honest assessment of that. Well, we're going to get into more, more into the reasons for Eilish's popularity later on in this talk, but first I want to talk about her musical style. And I only have time to play a few of her songs during this lecture, but I want to give you some familiarity with what her music is like without you having to listen to every song, which I did. Um, so. <laughs> uh, no, 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 not, not the video. Hold on. Sorry, next slide. That's what I meant to say. Slide. PowerPoint. <laughs> I'm not going to play a video just yet. Yeah. Um, so the first thing to remember when listening to Billie Eilish's music is that it's recorded in her family home in her brother's small bedroom. Here it is. Usually with her sitting on the bed, that's right behind him, while he plays around with the sound. Phineas, that's her brother, says this intimate setting allows them to make music that's wholeheartedly exposed and honest revealing who they are as siblings and as children of their parents. The siblings have tried recording in a professional studio but found it too impersonal. Some of the emotion captured on the tracks seems possible only because of this highly personal setting. When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? has clips of Eilish and Phineas laughing together as Eilish takes out her Invisalign braces and Eilish sighing after a particularly emotional recording. Eilish and Phineas borrow from many different genres in their music. When the Party's Over, one of the songs, sounds to me like something indie folk darling Bon Iver would have, could have written with its forlorn and haunting vocals. Meanwhile, Bad Guy, which we listened to a clip of, borrows from um, a hip-hop genre called Trap. And she's very influenced by hip-hop in some of her music, but not in the way that you necessarily might expect. Many of her vocals are manipulated, whether to make her voice deep on Bad Guy, which happens later, or childlike as she sings to a ukulele on 8. On Zanny, she croons like an old-time jazz singer, while blown-out bass gives the track an update. We'll listen to that song later. Billy and Phineas also sample a lot of found sounds, such as a drill at Billy's actual orthodontist appointment, and an in-flight safety demonstration, and clips from Eilish's favorite TV show, The Office. The musical style is, to say the least, eclectic. Eilish hates being boxed into any particular genre. She says, I just want to make exactly what I make exactly when I want to make it. I don't ever want to fit into a box. Dude, I love music, man. I listen to so much. If it's a good song, it's a good song. 
She cites many different influences from Avril Lavigne and Justin Bieber, who was her first love, <laughs> to the Beatles and Childish Gambino. Well, when I listen to Eilish's music, I hear the internet. Kids, when I was growing up, we didn't have no internet. And if you wanted music, you had to go into a store and buy these round things that look like flat donuts. Those were called compact discs, and that is where the music came from. <laughs> well, my exposure to music was pretty limited to whatever my friends told me about or what I heard on the radio. But kids these days can wander far and wide on the internet listening to all different genres on a whim. And their taste, I think, tends to be more varied as a result. Not only that, but information online is conveyed through many snippets that can feel sort of disconnected. Listening to Eilish's music feels a bit like clicking on hyperlinks and going on mental tangents. That said, there are a lot of through lines in her album. Phrases are repeated and elaborated on between various songs to sort of tie themes together. Eilish describes the album as 14 songs that sound completely different but also make sense with each other. She says some of the songs are autobiographical, such as Zanny, which we will listen to, and it's about her friend's drug abuse. But other songs are written from the perspective of different characters. So Bury a Friend is written in the voice of the monster under Billy's bed, while Eight is Billy's attempt to give voice to the accusations of someone she hurt. She's writing in there from their perspective. The variety of themes in Billy's music is notable compared to other current female pop artists, most of whom primarily sing about sex and romance. Now this theme isn't absent from Billy's songs, but she also explores a wider range of ideas and emotions. She says she writes songs because she has a lot on her mind and she wants to get it out there. Her music videos are also very creative, a mix of funny and creepy. I'm going to show you one of the milder ones, I don't want to scare you too much. Um, can you play Bellyache? That was the one you were on before. Where's my mind? 
As well, she just has this kind of unpolished energy to her. <laughs> These are not like slick choreographed dance moves. She's kind of twirling around. You also can see in that song some kind of darkness to her character. Um, she's, she's taking on this persona. It's not really supposed to be her, but she's talking about how she killed all her friends <laughs> and made off with the money. Um, but it's kind of this sort of cartoon villain kind of way. And um, a sense of humor, Billy and Phineas say, is really important to them. If you can make people laugh, that you have more power over them in a sense. Um, so now that I've talked a bit about Eilish's musical style, I want to transition and look at just what it is that has made her so popular. We're going to get into looking at some specific songs as we go on, on along. So what makes her so popular? Like I said, I don't know very many teenagers, so I was having coffee at the coffee shop just down the road, mostly, and I heard a girl overheard one of the baristas saying that she was 17, and I was like, yes. <laughs> so I went over to her and I asked her about Billie Eilish and what she, if she liked her, what she thought made her so popular. And she told me that Eilish is just different from anyone else. She said other pop stars claim to be different, but Billie really seems like she is. She's just being herself. And different is certainly the word most commonly used to describe her. But why is this different working so well for her? It's not easy to get recognition for, from doing something new. So what is Eilish expressing that so many young people connect with? First, let's watch a quick video of her surprising her fans on the show Ellen. It was just posted yesterday, so this is breaking news. You guys get to hear about it. Um, and I want you to pay attention to what the young girls in the video are saying about her, what they like about her. Where's the video? Uh, it's right there, yeah. Sorry, I don't know how to make it big. I think it just has to be like that. Like an angel. I'm like an angel. I was like, yeah. 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 I was like, ye
I know she goes to a safe space too, and she's very open about it. If you can say one thing, you're always better. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Don't change. I love you so much. My God, she's an inspiration of so many girls. Okay. And boys I love you. Yeah, I just tell her how much she's impacted my life and how much I love her. some of the things they say about her, how authentic that they think that she is, how she talks about depression, anxiety, how she seems like an angel. <laughs> um, and it seems that she's really made a big difference to them, not just in a, oh, you're famous kind of way, but touched some kind of chord in them <laughs> on, deeper, on a deeper level. Um, I asked one of my musician friends who listens to Eilish what she likes about her. She told me she's by turns super vulnerable and a complete badass. And I think that sums up her persona quite well. You could probably feel this as well in the interview that we watched of her. This, it's this sort of tough and tender contrast, and that's what I really want to draw on in this section of my talk. I'm going to note three aspects of Billie Eilish's popularity. First is the feeling of authenticity and rawness that she creates. And second, her self-presentation. And third, the issues that her music deals with, in particular depression. So first, her authenticity. I see Billie Eilish as a, a backlash against the hyper-produced, <coughs> shiny, technicolored worlds of Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. Mm. This, that, they're kind of the older generation of pop stars. More like my age, <laughs> maybe slightly younger. Um, but her songs and videos are both gritty and funny and feel like the product of her own imagination rather than just a slick package that's birthed from a corporation. And she really is quite involved in the creative process. I feel for Eilish and any young person caught up in the juggernaut of the entertainment industry. Even what feel like her sincere attempts at authenticity are marketed and produced until she becomes this kind of product. But she seems to fight really hard to retain creative control of her work. She also has an honesty that her fans find appealing, as they were mentioning in that video. Eilish talks openly about her struggle with depression and has shared that she has Tourette syndrome. As you can see from the Ellen video, she has this down-to-earth way of engaging with her fans and frequently thanks and credits them in interviews in a way that seems quite sincere. She says of her fans, I try as hard as I can not to be anything more than they are. We're all equal. I don't want to be on a different level. She wants her fans to feel involved in her shows too, and many of them are the same age as she is, so it's, for her, she says, more like being around her friends, really. 
As we saw in the Vanity Fair interview, Eilish is also pretty open about the difficulty of fame. She says, this industry is bleeping horrible, but if I wasn't doing this, I would probably be miserable because this is always what I wanted. No matter how horrible fame is and how horrible this is, and that is, a lot of things make all of this worth it, you know. Avril actually, um, Eilish actually reminds me a lot of Avril Lavigne. When I was a teenager, we had Britney Spears, if anyone can remember that far back. The Spice Girls, NSYNC, and the Backstreet Boys, and they were these smooth pop stars with tightly choreographed dance moves and flawless harmonies. Slide. So this is Britney Spears at about the same age that Billie Eilish is now. And you can see that this hypersexualization had already begun with her. Um, next slide. When Avril Lavigne showed up in her baggy black skater clothes, she made quite the stir. I remember this, looking at it and being like, who is this? Her album Let Go was released when she was the same age as Billie Eilish is now. She was considered the anti-Britney for what people saw as a more authentic, less made-up image. Avril Lavigne was part of this whole movement that tended to be sort of angry and sad. We had a lot of emo music, remember those days? That is emotional with overtly melancholic lyrics. Then that just kind of seemed to disappear with the rise of Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, and their ilk. I wonder if Billie Eilish is the resurgence of these darker themes. If so, what is it that's pushing this change? Is there something about Gen Z that only Eilish is speaking to? Well, I'm going to talk about Eilish's persona now and why it fits this cultural moment so well. Next slide. Yeah. Sorry, some interesting color background. <laughs> So the way Eilish represents herself has made her seem quite different from other pop stars, particularly in her fashion, as you probably already noticed. One vlogger online described Eilish's style as cyber goth anime raver. <laughs> Eilish certainly isn't afraid to stand out from the crowd, wearing brightly colored baggy clothes, long blue hair, and lots of silver rings and heavy chains. She mixes high-end fashion with thrift store clothes. Despite long hair and makeup, her style is noticeably androgynous. And this is a trend that I've seen happening with other musicians as well. This is Alessia Kara. She's a Canadian musician. Um, she's been dress dressing in oversized men's suits for her new album. Um, and even Taylor Swift has tried to climb on the androgynous bandwagon in her new video for her song, Me, but she didn't quite succeed. Eilish <laughs> 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 has given a number of different explanations for her fashion choices. Can you go back to that slide of her? One is that it makes her stand out, which it certainly does. <laughs> she says, I just like dressing out of my comfort zone. I want to dress in a way that if I was in a room full of people wearing regular clothes, I would be like, oh, I bet everyone's looking at me. I want to feel that way. That's my casual. My friend was explaining this to me the other day. Most people feel like they need to dress casual and look like everyone else to fit in. And that's where they feel comfortable. But the way people feel when they feel like an outsider is Billy's comfortable. I am not comfortable when I'm wearing just some jeans and a shirt, as she was in the Ellen video. I just feel wrong and I feel like very not me and out of my place and just weird. So my friend said, Billy just likes to feel super judged. I love being judged. I'm here for it. Remember she said that in her interview too. Judge me, please, <laughs> was her fashion. Eilish has a tough girl persona. Remember that she titled her EP, Don't Smile At Me, and she says, I hate smiling. It makes me feel weak and powerless and small. Her tough image is most clearly seen in Bad Guy, which is currently her most popular song. Next slide. We're going to look at the lyrics. I'm not going to play the video because there's some, it might be a little too weird for some. Um, so, so I'm just going to read the lyrics. You can follow along. 
White shirt, now red, my bloody nose. Sleeping, you're on your tippy toes. Creeping around like no one knows. Think you're so criminal. Bruises on both my knees for you. Don't say thank you or please. I do what I want when I'm wanting to. My soul, so cynical. So you're a tough guy, like a really rough guy. Just can't get enough guy. Chest always so puffed guy. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type. Make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy, duh. I like it when you take control, even if you know that you don't own me. I'll let you play the role. I'll be your animal. My mommy likes to sing along with me, but she won't sing this song. If she reads all the lyrics, she'll pity the men I know. And then the chorus again. Um, and then, uh, I'm only good at being bad, repeats. I guess I'm pretty glad that you're alone. You said she's scared of me. I mean, I don't see what she sees, but maybe it's because I'm wearing your cologne. And so on. So... This was the first song I ever heard from Billie Eilish, and I did not like it. The idea of the song is that even if this guy is tough and rough, Eilish is not scared of him because she's worse. You can hear bits of humor in the song, but to me it has some big issues. The lyrics seem to point to an abusive relationship, and it's highly problematic to me that a 17-year-old is singing about seducing someone's dad. We have to remember that this may just be a character that Eilish is putting on, but it still has these tones of um, statutory rape that are quite disturbing to me. So, next slide. Those are real spiders on her face, by the way. She does all her own stunts when she calls them. <laughs> in another song called You Should See Me in a Crown, which this is the, a picture from, Eilish references someone who's fallen in love with her ocean eyes, throwback, and thinks that she's pretty. But instead of being his baby, Eilish says she's going to make people bow to her one by one by one. This theme of female dominance is not unique to Billie Eilish. Lots of female pop stars have featured it, from Beyonce with Run the World, Girls, <laughs> uh, to more recently Ariana Grande's God is a Woman. Pop stars who start out as Disney princess-esque usually get a reboot later on as good girl gone bad. Think Miley Cyrus or Taylor Swift. Big transition. <laughs> But Billie Eilish's image starts out as bad to the bone, straight out of the gate. Maybe in five years she'll shock us by wearing princess gowns. <laughs> Eilish's clothes definitely say, look at me, at the same time as they give off a don't mess with me vibe. But another reason for her grunge look comes up in an ad she did for Calvin Klein. Play that video. I never want the world to know everything about me. I mean, that's why I wear big baggy clothes. Nobody can have an opinion because they haven't seen what's underneath, you know? Nobody can be like, oh, she's, she's slim thick. She's not slim thick. She's <laughs> she got a flat ass. She's got a fat ass. No one can say any of that because they don't know. <laughs> I speak my truth in my Calvin's. So she talks about the need to hide her body to avoid being shamed for how she looks. So we see the tension in her style of dress, both being wanting to be looked at and judged, judge me please, but not judged in a way that leaves her without a sense of control. So not judge for what her body looks like, we <laughs> judge for her fashion. This tension comes through in her music too, as when she sings to herself in a mirror, and this is the title of the song as well as a line, I don't want to be you anymore. Eilish is an interesting mix of toughness and vulnerability. One song lyric says, never been the type to let someone see right through. 
and yet she comes across as honest and relatable. And I see two factors especially that contribute to this tension between tough and vulnerable. First, Billie Eilish is 17, and most teenagers struggle with both wanting to be seen and not seen. I remember this. Teens often seem especially concerned with authenticity, noticing who's a faker, a poser, or a wannabe. The terms will vary depending on when you were a teenager. It was wannabe when I was a teenager, but I think that's gone out. Uh, but at the same time, the teen years are also vulnerable with so many new experiences and so much to think through as you come into your own identity. Now social media allows teens to reveal so much more about themselves, and yet it also makes them incredibly vulnerable to online bullying. Remember Eilish's message, don't post what you feel. Eilish displays this teenage desire for realness as well as the desire to protect herself. This, I think this isn't just teenage, but it's actually human too, both of those things. A second factor in Billy's tough yet raw persona seems to be a kickback against the hypersexualization of women, especially female celebrities. And this has come to the forefront recently with the hashtag MeToo movement, which highlighted the dangers of being a woman in the entertainment industry. Billy's fear of being body shamed is quite understandable. When she recently wore a tank top with a baggy jacket still over it, people online immediately started making sexual comments about her body. In a recent tweet, she asked fans to stop groping her during meet and greets. Well, I don't think anyone should have to ask this, especially a 17 year old. Billy's clothing seems like protective armor against the vicious dissection fame encourages. One of the reasons Billy doesn't like to smile is that she feels she doesn't owe anyone a smile and doesn't like when women are told that they have to smile and be agreeable. Though Billie isn't hypersexualized like many young pop stars, there are still overtly sexual elements to her music as we saw in Bad Guy. Through her toughness, she attempts to gain control rather than her being the one that's being taken advantage of. And in a world where young women are often extremely vulnerable, this reversal can feel appealing. But is this the best way forward? I would hope for Eilish and other young women that there could be another way. Relationships that are mutually respectful and caring rather than just a struggle for power and dominance. I would hope for Eilish that she could find relationships where it's safe for her to smile. The third reason I think Billie Eilish is so popular is the recurring theme of sadness and depression in her music. Now this week I talked with my younger sisters, they're nine and 12 years younger than me, and besides the girl in the coffee shop, they are my link to youth culture. <laughs> Not quite teenagers, but closer than me. And I asked them why Billie Eilish is so popular with teenagers. They told me that a recent spotlight on mental health issues, trying to destigmatize them, has actually made depression trendy with youth, and Billie Eilish's music reflects this. <clears throat> the Guardian called Eilish the pop icon who defines 21st century teenage angst. The New York Times attributed her popularity to the fact that now more than ever, what's happening in the shadows is crawling up into the light. Teenage angst has probably always existed in some form, but studies show that Gen Z kids are more lonely, anxious, and depressed than any generation before them. My friend Lynn is about to retire from 20 years as a high school counselor. And I asked her what kids come to see her about. Anxiety, she told me. She said it wasn't like that when she started 20 years ago. I have another friend, Megan, who works on children's ward in a local hospital here in Victoria. And she told me this past week that four years ago when she started working there, it was extremely rare to get a teenager with mental health issues, but now it happens all the time. It's become very common. So whatever's causing this change, I think it's pretty serious. Something to really grapple with. So how does Billie Eilish's music fit in? One writer says Eilish's music is part of a depression chic trend. Next slide. Oh, go. Uh, yeah, there we go. 
So Eilish's music was featured on a popular Netflix show, 13 Reasons Why. Who's heard of this show? Okay, most people. This show follows the fictional suicide of a teenage girl who has recorded tapes explaining how different people were responsible for her death. The show has received quite a lot of criticism for what some see as a glamorization of suicide. Billy's music has been criticized for the same thing. One writer warns, beware the pop princess romanticizing death. So how does Eilish's music relate to death? Well, I'd say it's conflicted. Let's listen to the song Zanny. I told you we would listen to this. The title is slang for the drug Xanax. It's an anti-anxiety drug that's often used recreationally. What is it about Just lyrics. I must be missing something. They just keep doing nothing. Too intoxicated to be scared. Better off without them. They're nothing but unstable. Bring ashtrays to the table. And that's about the only thing they share. I'm in the secondhand smoke, still just drinking canned coke. I don't need to feel better.
You can go back to the lyrics, which are on the, the slideshow. I really admire the thoughtfulness of the song, both lyrically and musically. So Phineas and Eilish used this kind of blown out bass, which Clark was trying to correct, <laughs> but that is the intent is to give, it's to give the feeling of breathing in secondhand smoke and just kind of getting a headache or whatever from being in that environment. Um, and, and then in the lyrics, we see this recurring theme in Eilish's music of her sadness over her friends destroying themselves through drugs and alcohol. In an interview, Eilish says that she lost a friend, presumably to an overdose, just a couple days before recording this song. And so she was crying as she was recording the end of the song. And you can hear in the end of the song that she has this heavy sort of sigh. And in another song, she sings, The friends I buried keep me up at night. It's a lot to deal with as a 17-year-old. Uh, Eilish herself is portrayed in the song doesn't smoke or do drugs and I applaud her insight and strength to resist self-destructive behaviors and to sing about it with such honesty and vulnerability. This is certainly a song that I would want my teenagers to listen to. But Eilish's other music and interviews seem to reveal a nihilistic streak that contradicts her attempts to speak out against self-destruction. I'm going to play a music video that's bit darker than the one that I showed, and it, I think it really demonstrates the macabre aspect of Billie Eilish. It is weird, but it's not violent or explicit. That one, yeah. me 
stuff all over her face but a lot more disturbing and to me this video represents really well the darkness and eyelashes music if there's a darkness in the outer world which i don't know if this is her intent but that's in the glass and then kind of darkness within coming out and eilish says that she just loves creepy stuff um, another video the video for bury a friend borrows a lot from horror movies and it was so creepy that i could only watch it one time but more than the creepiness there's a feeling of mean meaninglessness that just seems to haunt eilish in her songs in one interview, she states repeatedly that nothing matters and that it comforts her to know that whatever she does, good or bad, will eventually be forgotten after she and everyone else is dead. In an interview about voting, Eilish said, the world is ending and I honestly don't understand the law that says you have to be older to vote because they're going to die soon and we have to deal with it. The feeling of the world is ending comes through particularly strong in her song, All the Good Girls Go to Hell. You go to those lyrics. We'll look at the lyrics. In this song, God portrayed as female, and Satan watched together as people destroy the earth. So I'll just read them. My Lucifer is lonely. Standing there, killing time, can't commit to anything but a crime. Peter's on vacation, an open invitation. Animals, evidence, pearly gates look more like a picket fence. Once you get inside them, got friends, but can't invite them. Hills burn in California. My turn to ignore ya. Don't say I didn't warn you. All the good girls go to hell, because even God herself has enemies. And once the water starts to rise, and heaven's out of sight, she'll want the devil on her team. My Lucifer is lonely. Look at you needing me. You know I'm not your friend without some greenery. Walk in wearing fetters. Peter should know better. Your cover-up is caving in. Man is such a fool. Why are we saving him? Poisoning themselves now, begging for our help. Wow. So I've also experienced the past few summers on the West Coast where wildfire smoke obscures the horizon and gives us headaches. And we're told that this will be the new normal. It does feel ap apocalyptic and I can understand the despair that comes through this song. In these lyrics, Satan and God are no match for humans that are bent on self-destruction. Man is such a fool, why are we saving him? Even God is giving up on humans in the song. Morality also seems relativized. It doesn't matter what you do because even good girls will be destroyed in global warming. Our actions don't have any true lasting significance. 
there's a lot of <laughs> theological implications to the song, but I'm not going to get into all of those right now. Eilish argues against self-destruction in Zanny, yet all the good girls go to hell makes self-destruction feel inevitable. But it's not just the external circumstances that are bleak. Let's take a look at the lyrics of Listen Before I Go. Take me to the rooftop. I want to see the world when I stop breathing, turning blue. Tell me love is endless. Don't be so pretentious. Leave me like you do. If you need me, want to see me, better hurry because I'm leaving soon. Sorry can't save me now. Sorry I don't know how. Sorry there's no way out. Sorry, but down. Mm, down. <laughs> Taste me these salty tears on my cheeks. That's what a year-long headache does to you. I'm not okay, I feel so scattered. Don't say I'm all that matters. Leave me, deja vu. If you need me, want to see me, you better hurry, I'm leaving soon. The chorus. Call my friends and tell them that I love them and I'll miss them, but I'm not sorry. Call my friends and tell them that I love them and I'll miss them, sorry. And the song ends with a sound of sirens. So to me, the lyrics are clearly about suicide. And many of Eilish's other songs deal with similarly dark themes. This song may be a character piece again, rather than directly about Eilish. Um, and I think it may be intended to bring awareness to someone dealing with these thoughts and these feelings. Um, but Eilish has also stated that she's always been melancholic and struggles with depression. Her honesty about her mental health issues seems to be one of the reasons that she's so popular. But I wonder what is the line between normalization and romanticizing. Eilish's music makes me wonder how art should deal with painful emotions. It can be a powerful way of working through difficult feelings and experiences, communicating them and helping others to feel less alone when they're going through similar things. Doreen Saint-Felix, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, writing for The New Yorker says, I'd argue that Eilish's creepy confrontations of loss, fear, uncertainty, and death are just what younger listeners need. A generation that was born into a war and is accustomed to having videos of massacres autoplay on their devices should have limited patience for prefab bubblegum pop. She says Billie Eilish is a sign that pop music is ready to abandon materialistic concerns and attend to existential ones. It's certainly healthy for people to be aware of mental health issues and for depression and anxiety not to be stigmatized. But there's also the other side of the horse to fall off of, which is a glamorization of sadness. Now this happened with emo culture when I was a teenager, and now with social media, groups can form that self-perpetuate a romanticization of suffering. Beautiful suffering, as one writer called it. Young people want other people to understand them, but is just understanding enough to help them survive. Billie Eilish may understand depression, but will her listeners find that she has any hope to offer them? Authenticity is a good starting place, but if it can't point to anything beyond itself, it's just the blind leading the blind. I appreciate Eilish's warning against self-destructive behavior on Zanny, but I keep wondering what the logic is behind her wish for her friends to treat themselves better. If things are so dark inside, and if the world is going to burn, why try to stay alive? So we've heard a lot about what Billie Eilish says about herself and what others think of her, but what can we say about her from a Christian perspective? Well, youth culture's obsession with Billie Eilish seems to me to represent a longing for authenticity, for stars who are real and who can speak deeply to human experience, not just the lifestyle of the rich and famous. I've always had a melancholy bent myself, and I appreciate Eilish's honesty both in her interviews and her music. I certainly don't enjoy the glut of pop songs only dealing with getting drunk and going home with strangers. 
Eilish's music is thoughtful and very creative, and it addresses important cultural issues with amazing awareness for someone so young. However, in the midst of Eilish's introspection, I wonder what she leaves her listeners with. She wants to be relatable, and she is. But if she only offers darkness to relate to, is she giving the full picture? Francis Schaeffer talks about the major and minor themes in life and says that artists should portray both. So the minor theme in life, that's the, the, the minor keys, like the minor keys, is that apart from God, we are lost and rightly see our future as bleak and hopeless. And even Christians experience the sting of death and destruction in a world that's marked by sin. This shows up in every area of life, from a damaged environment to damaged relationships and damaged mental health. We have to be honest about these experiences in our works of art, or they'll only be naive and unrelatable. But not only Christians are guilty of creating naive art. Much of pop music today focuses on you only live once type themes and doesn't consider the implications of this lifestyle. Other strands of our culture believe that technology can solve any problems that we've created. I think it's completely understandable that young people like Billie Eilish find this unrealistic as they watch destruction unfolding around them. This naivety comes from a materialist worldview that can offer no hope beyond human invention and experience. Any art that doesn't take death and despair seriously misses the human experience. I appreciate that her music expresses so well the angst of a generation that feels like they're living on a dying planet. It's not surprising that we see so much escapist pop music when young people feel that there's so much that needs escaping from, whether raging wildfires or friends dying from drugs. Eilish's music wades into the middle of the muck rather than just ignoring it. But if the only content is sadness and despair, we've miss missed the major theme, which is that Jesus offers us the hope of changed lives and one day a renewed world. This reality shouldn't cause us to ignore suffering, but rather work to relieve it with a confidence that what we do does have true significance. Our actions do matter, even if everyone on earth forgets what we've done. There is a lasting quality to our actions, and there is meaning to the world, even when everything looks meaningless around us. One thing I really love about the Bible is that it's brutally honest about suffering in books like Job, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and the Psalms. The reality of death is never far. But the overarching narrative is that one day we will be freed from death. 1 Corinthians says that under Jesus' reign, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Isaiah says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Actually, that's not Isaiah. <laughs> I quoted that wrong. <laughs> I think that's Hosea. Or as the poet John Donne says, one short sleep past, we wake eternally and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Jesus' victory over death wasn't the bad guy move that many Jews were hoping for when they expected the Messiah to storm in and trash the Roman oppressors. Instead, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. His humility and self-sacrifice are our example of strength in a broken world. The tough and rough guys are one day going to bow before the lamb that was slain. Billy paints herself as a bad guy in order to cope with a harsh world. But hope in God's faithfulness means that life is more than survival of the fittest. We don't have to go it alone. We should never deny the darkness, but we also know that, as John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the hope for a generation that desperately needs something that's worthy of a smile. That's the end of my talk, and I would love to have some discussion. So. Um, I want to hear what you thought about 
Billie Eilish and what I had to share. Um, so please feel free to make any comments or ask any questions. Now is your time. Mm, well done. Mm, thank you. Rosalie. Songs like Zaddy, is it written by her or her? She and her brother work together. Um, so I think probably almost all the songs are collaboration. Yeah. It seems so strange to me that she seems to be um, vulnerable and destroyed by the very thing that she loves, which is her freedom. She keeps talking about her freedom, how she doesn't want boundaries, she doesn't want exclusive relationships, mm. and yet all her songs come out the other way, mm. saying, you know, there's abuse, I'm going to try to like um, cut in on you, and just like she doesn't have any boundaries, and yet she seems like, you know, lamenting mm. the lack of boundaries or crying out against you know, anything that would uphold her in a larger way, I don't know. Just mm -hmm. I just find this mm -hmm. irony about her. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You see a lot of conflict. And that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way before. But even things like the way that fans treat her, what she said about, like, if you ever have a photo taken of you, it will be used against you. Like, that, that is this kind of lack of boundary. Um, and so she wants to be able to do what she wants, but then when other people are also allowed to do what they want, she feels the repercussions of that too. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so often I hear like, when I talk to people who are younger, it seems that they have such a depth of wisdom and such a naivety at the same time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's just not qualified, it's just full out. Yeah. You know? And she seems to be speaking so truth, so much truth at one second and then just missing mm -hmm. even yeah. the interviews. I think there's a lot of cynicism and that can feel, that can ring true a lot because it's sort of a world weariness. Mm -hmm. But I think she's she's not getting the whole picture with that, um, that she's only seeing part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, I can only imagine growing up in an environment where your friends are dying around you, like it must feel <laughs> very dark for sure. And then being in that kind of industry, <laughs> I bet it's probably also very dark. Yeah. But she has a song for a rapper that was a friend of hers who also died, you know, recently, and so yeah, it happens there too. It makes me really sad the contrast between her fifteen-year-old self and her sixteen-year-old self. Mm -hmm. Like she had, she seemed a lot more positive, mm -hmm. even though she was writing some really sad songs. It was like. She was more. She was more likely to smile. Um, um, she was more excited. She acted more like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And in the second one, she was like a lot more reserved. She didn't smile as much. She didn't answer every question. Mm. She like kind of avoided them and was just commenting on her previous self. Mm. Um, and it was kind of like she'd been burned. Mm. But it's interesting that she said that she was hurting more age 15 than mm. she was 16 mm -hmm. so maybe she was projecting what a persona that she that she thought needed to be mm. had rather than mm. actually in that yeah. year she mm -hmm. had matured and been like you know what through that i'm actually gonna be a bit more real and that's linked to your authenticity point yeah. of um mm. yeah of her mm. wanting to reach that authentic rather than being like, well, this is what I should be like mm -hmm. because I'm 15 and I should be happy. Mm -hmm. 
I should smile to getting to the point of actually I'm not going to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell sometimes to parse whether she's being like tough guy or just like honest, you know, about things. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like does she really not care if she's judged? Yeah. Is that her being tough or is that her being honest, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, one thought I had was just in regards to permission. Like, I feel like that she shows a she shows that among youth culture, there's a there's a very strong permission to speak about the pain and the, the sorrow and the depression and these things, these themes that maybe there were quiet in other generations or other mm -hmm. times, but there's a fresh permission there. But it feels like the, the other things also like there's a there's non there's no permission. There's non allowance for being answered. So it's like mm -hmm. you can say you can say all you want about the problems, mm -hmm. but you can't. There's almost like a, it would be too, the cynicism would come piling upon if everyone dared to give answers. Right. So I think yeah. that that's, that, that shows the negativity that's so rampant. Mm -hmm. that, that can create pop culture, but, mm -hmm. but answers mm -hmm. don't really create pop culture right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. It's not popular. And I think we have to be really careful how we try to, to address these kind of things too and not just give a trite answer. Because I think in, it's easy with teenagers, especially to just sort of dismiss it as teenage angst. And I hated that when I was a teenager. Um, people treating you like your emotions like weren't real or didn't matter because oh, it's just hormones or something. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to take it seriously. Like these are humans dealing with, you know, all of the same emotions that adults feel, but just for the first time, a lot of them. So it feels more intense in some ways. But um, I think so. I think to take those things seriously, and I mean to realize like. Pe these young people are going through real struggles. Obviously, if people are committing suicide. I think this is serious. Um, but then to be able to really listen and then to offer hope in a in a gentle and um, strong way, I think. And yeah, and I I see a lot of hope being portrayed as a sort of like when other people understand kind of thing. But I don't think that's enough. I don't think it's enough just to know that you're in it with other people. You're on a sinking ship. It doesn't doesn't help you um, in the long run. I think it's a start, but you need to know that someone not only understands you, but can give you something more, can give you a life raft, you know. It just bugs me how young she is. Like, as someone who hangs out with a lot of teenagers, I think there's something for having teenage angst, expressing it, being ignored by adults, and then looking back and thinking, wow, that, that was hormones, mm -hmm. you know? Like, having that realization that it's not who you really are. It was a great phase. We listened to a lot of Avril Lavigne, our Green Day, during it, and it's over. <laughs> and being able to, like, shut that door, but she's, it's out for the world to see. And it may never be a face for her, it may be that, but I think there is something to, like, yes, acknowledging it, but also knowing that it's okay if that's a part of life. Mm -hmm. It's okay if teenage life is hard. Mm -hmm. Because other things in teenage life aren't hard. You don't have a job yet. Like, make it through to in high school. You got this. You know, there's not a lot of pressure in other ways. Um, and so it's good to kind of have that emotional expression and to release it, I feel like, at that stage. And because of how your brain's developing. But she doesn't, like, her brain is still eight years away from being fully developed. And yet she is so much ability to influence a generation yeah, it's kind of i wish there was rules around this <laughs> it's just like yeah. kind of terrifying and yeah. i feel for her that um you look at the rate of depression in child stars and it's massive and drug use in child pop stars and actors and you think of some of the people who were like richie rich the famous kid from that movie and 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't work out for them. It doesn't usually work out for them. Mm-hmm. And so I wish someone had been like, great music, let's wait a couple years. Mm-hmm. Let's let you have a life first and actually give you a running start. And then when you're all developed, your frontal cortex is working, then you can choose which angsty music you want to release. <laughs> uh, I don't know, it. like, I agree and I don't agree with you. Like, yeah. I... Uh, I mean, there. I listened to Nirvana in high school. I wasn't, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and Smells Like Teen Spirit came out and revolutionized kind of the feeling and grunge. Or, and so there was kind of angstiness to it, and felt like the pop music of the '60s was just absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I look at this kind of music, and and I feel like it's more than a phase. Mm-hmm. It feels like she's speaking for a generation that is dealing with so much more than I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yes, it was difficult, like, you know, uh, how do people look at you, how do you perform, make decisions in your life, but this seems to be, like, ramped up, mm-hmm. and maybe even hearing their parents talk about the political atmosphere of society is maybe at a whole new level, or talking about global warming at a whole new level, and, and going to a school where it's constantly emphasized about how the world is going to um, hell in a handbasket and you know uh, suicide rates are up in environmental studies and so you just I just feel that they're dealing with the world that is beyond just teenage angst I think they're trying it's like teenage angst plus right and uh, and I yeah and um, yeah I, I look at her and I'm just like yeah she shouldn't and teenagers shouldn't have to be dealing with their what they're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's more than just teenage angst. So. Yeah, I mean, I think because because there are the studies that do show that the this is it's changed. Like, I think it's changed incredibly since I was a teenager. Just even with the social media stuff, like, and I think that is a big factor in some of these things. But I, like, I never had to deal with that when I was a teenager that I could post something and then it would be there forever and people would use it, you know, however, or they could, you know, you could always be in contact with people and it was, you know, you give your kid a phone and you're opening them up to the whole world (laughs) and many parents aren't really aware of that either, but, um, yeah, you know, like the average age of, um, sorry, one second, I'll just... Any response to the music uh, as opposed to the lyric? The the style of the music? Well, the, the, the whole presentation, the whole song. Of sorry. Of what you played. Oh, you're asking other people. Can I yeah, can I just finish saying what I was saying? I just I just wanted to say like I think that and two things like pornography, like that like the average age of exposure to that is like eight. So um so I think that that kids are dealing with like way more than than I had to in growing up. But yeah. Anyways, anyone who wants to respond um to what Fred said about what they see in her music would would be interesting too. I saw some parallels between her and other artists that are really trying to go for something different out of the box. And mm-hmm. the first one that came to mind was Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. in the way she dresses. Yeah, just totally. Totally off the wall. Mm-hmm. And then Sia is another mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great mainstream artist that refused to be seen for the mm-hmm. longest time, like would literally like cover her face with a okay. wig yeah. for the longest time. And yeah, I'm just intrigued by that whole identity thing, mm-hmm. trying to hide, because mm-hmm. those are not teenagers, adults mm-hmm. producing records and influencing, and they have kind of their own themes, but Sia in particular deals with a lot of suicide and mental health mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. 
and her family. Yeah. From what I understand. Um, yeah, so just the, the similar themes that are kind of dark but rowdy and mm-hmm. very independent mm-hmm. and I don't have to do what anybody tells me to do sort of thing. Right. It seems to be not so unique anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a theme in music mm-hmm. to just be very outspoken about mm-hmm. mental health stuff and mm-hmm. suicide and yeah. drug use and and the, not all those type of pop singers are <coughs> singing like about illicit sex and you know glamorous parties like we you know are you know going to Beverly Hills or whatever but but still there's a, a dark mm-hmm. sadness mm-hmm. Uh, yes the parties but it's not glamorous it's right. a mess you know it's disaster and, and the theme keeps coming out that I keep hearing is we're broken yeah. We're all broken, and you hear yeah. that in music words all the time. Then we're all broken. You're broken. I'm broken. Mm-hmm. We're broken. Mm-hmm. But I think like what you're saying is like there's no there's no answers. People are just demanding. Yeah. And I think I think that's it's good to see that oh people are actually recognizing that mm-hmm. that's like a point where we can enter a conversation with mm-hmm. them. You know. Um, like I'm always when I'm driving around listening to pop music, I'm always trying to think like what is being communicated, and how can I think about that. Um, and yeah, there's, uh, what's the one song, I can't remember what the title is or who it's by, but um, I like that you're broken, broken yeah. like me. Maybe yeah. that's one of the ones you were thinking mm-hmm. of. Um, I could, I, what is it, I could be lonely with you or something yeah. like that. And it's like, that, that this is the thing that draws two people together is their brokenness and their loneliness. Yeah. And I think, well, what next? Like, yeah. that just breeds more brokenness, you know? Um, and, and again, that's that feeling of like, well, Clark has talked about the friendship of cynicism, like cynicism being a thing that binds two people together, but doesn't necessarily move you um, to the next thing. So, uh, yeah. But it will be fascinating to see how she matures and mm-hmm. who she becomes, because I mm-hmm. think of someone like Sia was so, like, I think it almost destroyed her, the fame, and then she started wearing the wig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, after she came out of addiction, mm-hmm. and she's actually very, um, I think some of her words are so profound, and um, and then I think of someone like Miley Cyrus. But that's like coming out of the Christian worldview. Well, she is, yeah, she a Christian. Is. But yeah, and watching Miley Cyrus evolve like is mm-hmm. very fascinating. Like I'm mm-hmm. always like interested to see what she's going to do next. But eventually, hopefully, there's going to be you know some maturity. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, even with Lady Gaga, too, she actually, she kind of like Billie Eilish, kind of came out of the gates running with this sort of like tough image, and now she sort of seems to have swung the other way where she's more natural and seems a little bit more vulnerable in a way. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Look, looking around the room, <clears throat> I'd say I'm probably the oldest person here, and it has its advantages. <laughs> because I was a teenager in the 50s. Yeah. In the 50s, we had the Elvis Presley. <laughs> and later, in the 60s, the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And later, CCR, you know, Clearwater Revival. Maybe you don't even remember. Some of you. Yeah. <laughs> and they talked a lot about drugs, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd been through all that. I didn't come to faith in the Lord. I was in my 30s and it was after seeing a lot of stuff a lot of stuff and <clears throat> what I see 
and here tonight uh, reminds me of an expression that pays to advertise. Um, Billy here, um, I, I really heart, have a heartfelt, sorrowful feeling for her mm -hmm. because she's being used. Mm -hmm. She gives the impression that it's all coming out of her. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Look at her eyes. That's one of the first things you look at in any person. Look at their eyes. Are they hopeful? Mm -hmm. Are they sad? Mm -hmm. Are they crying or whatever? Her eyes are dull. Mm -hmm. They've been dull. Yeah, they're grieving. They're grieving. And I think a lot of it is they're grieving for herself. Mm -hmm. But when I when I use that expression, <clears throat> it pays to advertise. It's an old expression. She's advertising hopelessness. And I don't say I don't like to say she is advertising hopelessness. There was one name on one of the songs. And she didn't sing it. But she speaks about the one who runs her life. Mm. And it's Lucifer. Mm. No one speaks of Lucifer anymore. It's only mentioned in one uh, edition of the Bible that I know of. Mm. And Lucifer, of course, said, I'll be like the, the Most High. And he's amazingly brilliant in many, many ways. But in Isaiah 14, after it describes who Lucifer is, then there's a question that always makes me laugh. Really, I, I get a real chuckle out of it. And it's a question. And it says, is this the man that troubled all the nations of the world, really? That's how I'm paraphrasing it a little bit. Is this the man? And I suddenly think of the the play and the movie, The Wizard of Oz. How many in here have seen The Wizard of Oz? All right. And who is that Wizard of Oz when he is revealed? Who is he? Nobody. Yeah, just an ordinary guy. He's a, a little guy with a big microphone behind a, a screen. Mm -hmm. Everybody is just terrified of this Wizard of Oz, but when he's revealed, he's just kind of a, a squeaky person <laughs> with amplification. And this is the same thing that's happened to a lot of rock and rollers. I came through the origins of rock and roll music. <clears throat> a lot of it came out of gospel music. Elvis Presley was a gospel singer in his church. Many others, uh, I won't try to name all of those, many of them. And it was almost like something got a hold of them, whether it was popularity or whatever. And they used this new term, rock and roll, by a fellow by the name of David something from New York City. He was a, a radio show, a music show host. In New York City. David Ledbetter. David no. Ledbetter. No, no, no. Anyways, um, there was one night when he said, "I'm going to play you some new music." He was playing country music and uh, rhythm and blues and stuff like that. 
And all of a sudden, he said, I came across this music, and I'm going to play a copy of it tonight. And I'm going to tell you that what, what it's called. It's from the street, uh, street expression. It's called rock and roll. Rock and roll actually was a term, a street term, for fornication. A guy would come up to a girl and say, hey, do you want to rock and roll? Right? And then that's the term that stuck. When he played the music, the phones just went alive. Absolutely alive. He said, hey, play us more of that music. It's fantastic. <clears throat> and then the, mo the phones were alive again, and the people were saying, you can't use that expression on radio. That's filthy. <clears throat> and he said, how many people across the United States, and he was speaking to the United States, says, it was syndicated all over. He said, how many people in the United States know that term? It's just a local New York City term. Hmm. But it stuck. Hmm. The first time I saw Elvis Presley on television, we heard that he was going to be on the Ed Sullivan show on a <laughs> Sunday night, believe it or not. And I'm one of three sons, and we heard about it, and we thought, Oh, we're going we always watch Ed Sullivan. My mother was in the kitchen doing dishes. We turned on Ed Sullivan. And, Ed, and uh, Elvis Presley came on, and he started swinging his hips and whatever and singing this rock and roll. <laughs> and um, he was introduced as uh, this one who's popular, popularized rock and roll. Anyways, we started to listen to it. My mother heard it from the kitchen. Shows you how times have changed. She came in, turned off the TV sheet, off the TV set, and said, you three kids get up to bed. You're not going to watch that trash. <laughs> now, that was nothing compared to what we see today. And yeah. You can see the progression of it. But it's to the progression to the point where I believe she's being used by the enemy of all of us in whatever way she's been involved, I think if you really looked into her past, she would have been involved in something that was calling on, an, on the, the enemy world, whether it's through seances or whatever. And as, as a result, I believe she's possessed. I believe that strongly because I've seen it so many, many times before by many artists. And when I became a Christian, at one point I was asked to take a teenage uh, Sunday school class. And um, the normal program. And then all of a sudden someone started to talk about uh, what kind of music I listened to. Hmm. I said, well, I used to listen to rock and roll, whatever. Oh, you did? Who did you listen to? Um, and I said, do you want to know more about the origins of rock and roll? So I got permission from their parents to give presentations on the origins of rock and roll, not from my opinion. I had all sorts of literature that was, um, what's, it, what's it called? Um, the Rolling Stones magazine, for example. And I think it's still going, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think it's just starting to stop. 
but things like that. Where, where they interviewed rock and roll musicians and asked them, um, you know, where they got their talent from, then where did they get the lyrics for their songs, and da 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 da, and they started to laugh. I mean, they rock and rollers that were being interviewed. But then they described um, where they got it from. He said, hey, our souls are dead. We sold our souls. They didn't say anything else other than that. And uh, that was... always a place where the Christian church, we as Christians, yeah. can, <coughs> can pray for the likes of Billy because of the influence that they carry mm -hmm. in a generation um, that is at an, a very ideal, idealized age. Mm -hmm. um, and the awareness that uh, she has, that they relate to, gives her, of course, great influence. Um, and uh, I think there's, a, there's, there's an awful lot of scope for, and not just not just uh, Billy, but uh, for others of other generations, past and future, when it happens, for us to pray for them, to pray uh, for those who are in their lives who can uh, um, work in their lives for good. And I think that 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 is mm -hmm. where we can take it one step further. What is your name? Martin. Martin, you hit the nail on the head. Oh, so. mm -hmm. You absolutely hit the nail on the head, because what the Gen X uh, generation, from what we've heard tonight, Gen Z. Uh, from, from them, uh, they don't have hope. It's such such a dismal future for them, uh, who are deep into this uh, type of uh, genre of, mu of music. And yes, it's so important that we pray for them call on the Holy Spirit to intervene in their life in such a way that they are impacted with what is truth, yeah. even more who is truth. But one yeah. of the problems I, I find is, I, I, I um, agree with so much of, you know, um, but where are the answers? And I think that, you know, the, the answers of like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry of like, let's just dance mm -hmm. and be festive and inclusive. I do find that uh, sometimes is an answer that seems shallow in response to the um, heaviness of what's going on culturally, whether it's in the demise of civilization, of this civilization, or whatever, whatever state the civilization is in. Mm -hmm. But uh, I imagine someone turning to 106.5, for example, and, uh, you know... This is Christian, the Christian radio station. The Christian radio the station. I just think that... They would, and when they go into a church, I think that that sometimes they find just sentimentality. Like people who come to Labrie um, are people who are like uh, Billie Eilish, where there is a lot of cynicism and lament, and they want to lament, and they have not been given permission to, to lament. Um, I agree about the kingdom of darkness. Uh, I do believe um, that uh, people can uh, be taken down these roads but, but there, there's also something that we need to hear mm. where we need to hear the lament. Mm -hmm. And people go into the churches and they don't hear lament. Mm -hmm. They just hear praise songs. Mm -hmm. And praise songs that are like boyfriend songs. Mm 
not songs that will actually um, give them the transcendence and uh, an absolute in which to, to ground their faith and to ground their understanding of what is wrong with the world. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I think that there needs to be a response to someone like Billy and their generation. Mm -hmm. Yes, we need to pray, uh, but we also need to, to respond with honest answers. Mm -hmm. And we need to allow them to speak honest questions. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that listening to Billie Eilish, yeah, I agree with all the things that, you know, that I do think that she's being used as a pawn, uh, particularly in how the music industry is just grinding up for, you know, using youth for profit yeah. and using her despair for profit. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think as Christians, you know, I think that this was something implied of what you were saying, mm -hmm. that Christians as artists, mm -hmm can produce music that is gritty and true, mm -hmm. but also hopeful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't see that balance in Christian music right. or, or something like that. Or at least not what you get on the radio. You might see it right. smaller audience. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's that's you know, why I wanted to talk about Billie Eilish is because I think mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to just dismiss her as like she's dark or creepy or evil or whatever. And I think that She's, but she is expressing something that is like deep in the heart of this upcoming generation, and I think we need to be able to engage with that and yeah. talk eloquently about it. And you know, I have prayed for her as I've been preparing this lecture, mm -hmm. um, because I see that you know there is this this sadness there. Um, but also, I think to say like how how can we really think about what is going on rather than just being like don't listen to it. Um, for us or for our kids, but to, to be able to take it seriously and, and to look at her lyrics and think about what well, what is she trying to say, because mm -hmm. she is an artist making choices, even though I agree also that she is manipulated in pro a lot of ways that she probably doesn't realize even. Um, yeah. But yeah, how can we how can we engage with that from a Christian view um, mm -hmm. and offer some <laughs> hope in, in our conversation mm -hmm. or dialogue with it and um, yeah. I think it's a really good thing to, like what I, what I experienced when I was listening to her with a thousand million young people, that's their heart song. Mm -hmm. They're saying it in everything they're doing, coding, whatever they're doing, they're expressing all the same things. She just put some words around it, but what I feel the call is, is to get close, to not push away and not to be afraid to to um, feel their pain, yeah, and we don't have to carry it. Yeah. And I, I know for myself, one of my fears is sometimes I have a tendency to carry, mm -hmm. but we're not necessarily is to hear their grieving and let them say it, mm -hmm. and non being and not being judgmental, mm -hmm. and you know just that whole thing to call to be home to be um, seen and heard. And touched. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Esther? I'm curious kind of what the next phase will be because it seems relatively recent that artists are getting into being like brutally honest about mm -hmm. their feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of being like I mean, just the, the despair and the gloom and mm -hmm. like you said, like all of pop up until recently has just been bright and happy and mm -hmm sex and whatever and she's talking about drugs and suicide and things that are 
a lot more um, pressing of issues and I think a lot more honest in a lot of ways, but it, it seems like, I mean, obviously we all know that the pendulum has to swing the opposite way, right? And that's kind of what it's doing right now. And so I'm curious to see if among this like kind of collection of artists that's in a dark place right now, if if some brightness comes out of it within the next few years, if kind of everyone realizes, oh, we're stuck in this place, and then I don't know, maybe like little little light bulbs start to go off or something. I'm just I just wonder how long it can stay this dark. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what kind of place, if there is, like that they would anchor a hope in kind of, if, if it's anything substantial, whether it's just like, let's go back to light and fluffy kind of, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'll be interested to watch too. Josh? I, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Just sometimes. Um, yeah, I, while you were giving your lecture, I went on to my phone and started texting. I saw you texting while I was lecturing. Yeah, I was, I was, I was having a conversation with one of my youth culture informants. <laughs> we all got to, y'all got to have them. Um, and, and I, and I learned something. There was, there was something uh, that, that Billy said in, in one of her interviews or, or in the year, year in reflection interview where she says, yeah, the thing that I, I tell my younger um, self was that any picture that's taken, that picture is going to come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, I didn't have context for that, so I, so I started talking to this person, and, and I was told that there was a Billy went out on a walk, and and she had a, she was still wearing a puffy hoodie, but it was unzipped enough mm-hmm. that she wasn't wearing particularly sexualized clothing, but mm-hmm. she, but the, you know she had a, a white tight fitting shirt with a yeah. little bit of cleavage. I I. And and she got, you know, so there was a whole stream of sexualization that mm-hmm. happened to her, mm-hmm. even though she had tried to curate her image so precisely as to not mm-hmm. ever let something like this happen. Mm-hmm. One, you know, one picture or, or a series of a couple of pictures that's taken on a single walk, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, boom, yeah. the, the, the flock of the internet culture onto something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know so much what to say to that, but just the the sort of hellish nature of of fishbowl fame, especially mm-hmm. when you're, as you're saying, not in control. Like I watched um, uh, Rocket Man about a week ago oh, with, yeah. on about uh, Elton John, about Elton John, mm-hmm. and you know the, he's he's drugged up and he's living in his mansion, and oh, visitors are popping by and everyone's having a party at your house. There's no privacy. He's mm-hmm. always on. Mm-hmm. He has to always be on, and if he's going to have a breakdown, that breakdown is going to be very, very public right. because there are no, there's no doors to close. Mm-hmm. Every, it, it, you're, 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 you're sitting in a fishbowl. Well, even more so with the age of social media, like you know, there's all these videos of mm-hmm. Billie Eilish doing all these different things, you know, that are just like on her phone or other people's phone. Like everything is documented, and I can't imagine what, like, even what it's like to be a teenager in general growing up in this age is got to be really rough but yeah mm-hmm. to be a famous person it's just there's it's relentless like that it would never have been that way in the 50s for example yeah karen I see that. um recently uh I, I was told that the number one reason for suicide is isolation mm. and just like you were talking about the cell phone mm-hmm. 
they let these young people live on their cell phones so much that they see other people thinking that their lives are so perfect and so good and, and they compare themselves to um, these people and they are just so down on themselves and you know just like you're saying the whole world's out there you know like she is saying don't let your feelings get on the computer uh, on technology mm -hmm. and um they say that is the number one reason for suicide for young people mm -hmm. because they live on their phones and they listen to everybody else mm -hmm. and think that they failed yeah, I think I think loneliness is just a huge epidemic in our culture, not just for teenagers either. And I and I'd say like a takeaway from this would be like if you have teenagers in your life, um, get to know them for who they really are and talk to them about what they're feeling and thinking and going through. And it's encouraged me to be more aware of that too. You know, when I encounter encounter teenagers in the wild <laughs> you know just not not to be afraid of them or dismissive but to to really recognize that all the, like all their thoughts and feelings are that's the beginning of you know what who they turn into as people and um and they can be thinking you know a lot of really deep and important things and and to really hear what their hearts cry is you know um like someone was saying so yeah i want to let you guys go because it's already after nine, but thank you for coming and for engaging with this um, interesting artist with me. I hope, I hope it gives you some food for thought. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. Mm -hmm.